0: Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today we conclude a week on Season 3, Part 13 of Twin Peaks by looking at uh, what I said the night it aired. I'm going to read some of my review that I wrote for my site back in 2017. I'm going to follow that then with a uh, fair warning for those who are you know, watching, listening to these episodes after watching each episode for the first time, listening to these podcasts, rather, after watching each Twin Peaks episode for the first time, if you're using it as an intro cast, I do try to avoid spoilers, but I am going to play the first minute of the next episode of part 14, share the audio, and then also uh, describe what we see. And that will serve as a nice kickoff for part 14 beginning next week. From my previous work, here's what I wrote about this episode the night it aired 2017. Somewhere between watching last week's and this week's episode, I finally got a grip, I think, on the shape of the series. Hey, it only took 12 hours. Nothing big, well, nothing big, big. No earth-shattering twist on the level of a quasi-comatose Cooper popping out in Dougie Jones's place in Las Vegas is going to happen until the finale. True, Part 8 is already something of an outlier, but look at what it actually achieved. Not so much a crazy narrative development as a dazzling stylistic detour, whose explicit plot relevance, if any, probably won't be revealed until later. And I don't think we're headed for another Part 8 anytime soon, though I'm admittedly less certain about that. In a way, this is an odd statement to make right now. Aren't I just repeating what I've been saying since the beginning? I have more or less voiced such views about Dougie Cooper and with the series more than two-thirds over, I think I've won that bet. But I thought other parts of the narrative would pull the rug out from under us, or rather pull back the curtain and reveal a hidden reality or shocking secret that reoriented our understanding of what we were watching. This created a nervous dynamic each week particularly eventful episodes would excite me, inspiring me to think, oh boy, we're really onto something big now, while more low-key episodes would frustratingly evoke the feeling of being stuck in a rut. But after mulling over last week's perplexing, frequently perverse installment, I finally sighed in a mixture of relief and resignation. I've always said that David Lynch's notion of an ongoing narrative is different from Mark Frost's and many other television writers, less a cycle of beginnings, middles, and ends existing within an overarching narrative, perhaps, but still full of self-contained units, and more an extension of a single middle as long as possible. I should have listened to myself. Despite Frost's deceptive proclivity to sprinkle bread along the three-and-a-half-hour or month-long path, setups and payoffs do exist. Characters and storylines have moved, if not exactly advanced. And there are a few mini-arcs within the larger narrative. For the most part, though, the return wants to linger and doodle between A and B not leap from A to B to C and onwards. So the best way to enjoy each week is simply to sit back and let it happen, without too many questions or expectations. This isn't a slow-moving train. It's a train that has stopped and calmly rests in place, partly to refuel for the final destination, the terminal point with insight on the horizon yet frustratingly no closer as each hour passes, but also to allow us to wander and explore this particular waste station. In that sense, those who grumbled that Lynch stretched a nine-hour story into an 18-hour one aren't necessarily wrong, but that's the point. Don't rush the journey. We'll resume eventually. For now, just enjoy the scenery. You'll miss it when it's gone. In 2020, I released my Journey Through Twin Peaks chapter 36 on The Return and included a section called Bittersweet Passage, where I focus on parts of, 13, or rather, parts uh, 9 through 13, the sort of middle section of the series. So here's a clip talking about that. The further into this stretch we go, the more these episodes are consumed by night, presenting characters in Edward Hopper-esque tableau of self-isolation and social distance three years ahead of schedule. To paraphrase Emily Dickinson, these are the hours of lead. But in these days, the glow is dying. Here, first-time viewers can make their peace. What will be in the darkness? And even find a kind of joy. My dream. In the realization of what sort of story Twin Peaks is telling. These episodes offer glimpses of communal warmth amidst the turmoil and loneliness. Somehow, he knew. Whatever frustrations these episodes harbor, no stars. No stars. the show has developed a compassionate, humanist core. That's it for part 13. Now, here is the first minute of part 14. The audio first, and then I'm going to describe what we see to take us out and into tomorrow. Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. Is that you, Lucy? Director Cole. You've been there all through the years, Lucy? Well, actually, I have gone home, and Andy and I have taken some vacations. One year, we went to Bora Bora. Would you like to speak with Sheriff True? Yes, Lucy, I'm returning his call. Okay, I'll connect, Joe. Sheriff Truman, FBI Director Gordon Cole is on line one. That's the blinking one, the one that's blinking right now. Fade up on the brick building, which opened part 12. This time, however, it's caught in morning daylight rather than nighttime, and the shot is further away. We can read the entire hotel sign on the side of the building, view the street and another building in the background, along with trees and a stoplight in front, and see that the hotel is composed of two towers, both stretching out of view above the frame, with a smaller two-story facade in between them serving as the entrance. The right tower has a fire escape zigzagging across its central windows. Also differently from the previous episode, a title pops up, Buckhorn, South Dakota, determined to situate us in this particular location as if we might mistake it as somewhere else in the sunlight. After about three seconds with this establishing shot, we cut to a medium of Gordon Cole leaning over a hotel room phone. He's seated in a comfortable armchair, leaning over its side to reach the black and white landline on a polished mahogany desk, atop which sits a glass ashtray, a bowl filled with what appears to be a brownish liquid, too big to be a cup, it's probably a decorative element, and a gleaming bulbous golden lamp. Behind Gordon in his black suit, the black phone receiver against his ear, is a curtain caught in early morning rays of sun, mostly shadow but with light peppering its tannish brownish folds. In a striking manner. Gordon finishes dialing, and the shot ends after five seconds, with him contemplatively turned slightly toward the camera, but still in profile, determined as he awaits his answer. Cut to the Twin Peaks Sheriff's Station, a decidedly more wide shot than the one that featured Gordon. Lucy sits at her desk, a small figure in the frame, which encompasses her entire broad window and much of the wall around it. Below the lip of her desk, the wall is dark brown. Above it, boards of lighter wood, Though the brown trim matches the under area, Lucy's wooden block with receptionist carved across it sits atop her table, next to a potted plant, a wooden case full of writing utensils, and a smaller nameplate reading Lucy Brennan. The area directly in front of her is clear, while a lamp with a golden-angled stand and broad, short black shade and black stand anchors the other end. Behind her on-screen left, a number of coats are clustered against the window with open blinds, near another lit lamp, almost facing it, One is turned Toward Lucy that's also illuminated, and it's poking out above her nameplate. Further on the left side, there's a bulletin board and folders surrounding a printer and a nearby Dell desktop computer. Directly behind Lucy is a smaller desk with some accoutrements, including an old-fashioned type pad, a calculator perhaps, with a roll of paper spewing out, and a tape dispenser. On screen right, we can glimpse a second, redundant reception placard. An indistinct, bluish-white painting is hung behind Lucy's head, On the wall outside of her receptionist's enclave, there are two bright red alarm systems and a dark brown light switch on the left side, an oval painting of a mountain and wooded lake above, and a painting of a tree and some other shrubbery above a bad shaped wooden placard with golden nameplates emblazoned across it on the right side of this desk area. Completing the lineup, a pencil sharpener hovers on the right side of the white-surfaced, light wood-edged desk, jutting out from the contented-looking Lucy. Lucy's hair is up in a messy bun, curls cascading down the side of her face. She wears a pink, flower-patterned sweater over a white turtleneck, a necklace draped across her front. She picks up the thick black phone receiver and announces herself, or rather, her workplace. Return to the medium shot of Gordon, so much closer, for about a second. Back to the wide of Lucy, who reacts to the volume of Gordon's voice by jerking back from the phone. From this point forward, she holds it a little bit back from her ear. Three seconds, and we cut to a wider medium of Gordon. Now his knees, the knob of the little desk, and the corner of the wall are visible, though the overall impression of the shot is the same. Four seconds with this, back to Lucy's wide for six seconds, and then we cut in again to Gordon's closer medium shot, as he listens intently, if a bit quizzically. His eyes flit back and forth for nine seconds of mostly silence. Lucy speaks again in a three-second wide. Back to Gordon's medium for one second, returning to Lucy's wide as she cocks her head to listen to his instruction and then pulls the phone away again to protect her eardrum before shouting into it. She presses a few buttons, and we cut to a medium shot of Frank Truman at his desk. Wood surrounds the sheriff. Shelves, walls, the desktop, ornaments on the shelf behind him, alongside a slightly out-of-focus file folders and books, and what appeared to be a little gold or bronze statuette of an elk. Frank's right hand rests on a spiral notepad, while his left hand holds a typed page which he's reading. He looks up and to his left at the sound of Lucy's voice, and then toward the phone on his right as he realizes he has an incoming call. He pauses and purses his lips, while patiently enduring Lucy's over-explanation. And there, our minute ends. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash movies tomorrow we kick off part 14 officially uh really one of my favorite parts of the return so i'm looking forward to uh sharing that with everybody we will look at the feel of the episode the structure of the episode the part laura palmer plays in it and just kind of set up that week in general so see you then